Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're going to be talking about a very interesting aspect of manufacturing that is fairly new on the horizon, and it is machine as a service, meaning the manufacturer doesn't necessarily need to own the machine to produce the goods for the marketplace. Lou, this should be a fascinating conversation with Michael Komek. So we've uh, had uh, a conversation uh, previous to the show, and yeah, it's, uh, it's really, uh, uh, and you and I have heard about it before, uh, but it seems to be really uh, taking taking its place in the lineup of manufacturing uh, newisms. Uh, so I, I, I think we got to get right to it and introduce our guest. And yeah, uh, right. hear all about it. Michael Kromecki is the founder and CEO of Steam Chain. And as we mentioned, he is going to be educating us on machine as a service. Michael, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks, Tim. Thanks, Lou. Happy to be here. We're glad to have you. Let's not forget as we as we roll through this to, to get your website address out there, which I think is Fairly easy at steamchain.com. Uh, I'm going to pause you there. I'm, I'm okay. going to backtrack you. It's actually uh, steamchain.io. We .io. use the, uh, the .io extension uh, nowadays. It. It's the, the new version of .com. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> so let me know, let our listeners know, what is your machine-as-a-service business all about and by the way, you have quite a background at Rockwell. How did you go from big corporate to I'm going to jump into fire from the frying pan? Yeah, well, it, it was quite a transition. Uh, you know, I was uh, I spent 20 years working for Rockwell Automation. I, I I really enjoyed my time there. I had so many so many great opportunities working with that organization over over my 20 year career uh, to work with manufacturers, large and small, in, in every region of the world. Uh, and uh, as my career advanced and, uh, you know, I was able to kind of see the bigger picture, so to speak, of how the market worked and what the new technology was uh, and, and, and what was coming down the pipe, uh, a few of my colleagues and I thought, uh, hey, now might be the right time uh, to do something we always wanted to do in our career, which was to, which was to uh, found a company and, uh, and build a business. And so... We took the opportunity to uh, to to leave Rockwell Automation uh, and start this uh, this business we call Steam Chain. And Steam Chain is focused on delivering machine as a service business models to our clients. And uh, these these business models are are really commercial programs for how they offer their manufacturing equipment, software, and technology to the market with n- new approaches. Uh, compared to the capital acquisition process that's been in place and really has not changed since the original Industrial Revolution. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. I mean, you just think when I'm going to start a manufacturing plant, I'm going to go out and buy the machinery that I need to run in the plant to produce 
my products. And that is not the case if they can outsource machine operation to somebody who owns the machines instead. There's got to be a great benefit to that. Michael, why don't you share that? Yeah, I, I, we, we, we tend to agree, of course. Uh, and, and I would characterize it as flexibility, right? Uh, when you look at the capital acquisition process and what it means to either increase your production capacity or, or create new production capacity, uh, in the traditional sense, it requires substantial upfront capital, which implies substantial risk and, and true ownership of those assets. Uh, the organizations that, that want that increased capacity also have to be comfortable with their ability to operate those machines, their ability to support those machines over the entire life cycle of the asset. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of day, uh, uh, in a lot of ways, in recent times, companies have been more interested in their core business and they've worked more with contract manufacturing or they've outsourced or offshored uh, their production capacity because they, they don't see that as their core competency. With machine as a service, what this allows is for them to still have that manufacturing capacity in their facility under their watchful eye, but to do it in a way that they don't exclusively own all the risk of the production of those assets. Through the use of uh, machine as a service, they can partner with the people that provide the technology, the people that provide the support and the service, they can partner with them on an outcome-based approach where they're really paying for the results of the assets, not necessarily the assets themselves. Well, it certainly appears to me, and, and I like it, Lou, because this is outsourced to America. Uh, we, we love that, right? <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. Absolutely. So when, when you uh, uh, create a... Uh, uh, a program for a company uh, where you're bringing in equipment and so on, and they can they run it and uh, you own it and you service it and you fix it and you pay for it. Uh, so the only thing they have to do is use it and pay their monthly uh, their monthly fee. Is that yeah? That is the way. That, in, in, in you know, in a simple in a simple answer, yes, absolutely. Um, to get into the nuance of it, right, uh, what, what we do is we manage that process for our OEM clients, the machine builders, who provide equipment on these programs uh, so that end users can contract with those machine manufacturers, not for the machine itself, but for the outcome that that machine produces over some contract term. Uh, one, ex one great example is, is Pearson Packaging out of Spokane, Washington. Uh, that, uh, no, that, that allows their customers to sign up for their machine-as-a-service program, and instead of buying uh, secondary packaging equipment, that secondary packaging equipment is delivered by Pearson Packaging, installed in their customers' facilities. The customer then pays a, a fixed rate per case packaged on the equipment, uh, and when the customer no longer needs the equipment, they return it. Um, there's no cancellation. There's no uh, there's no cost other than the variable operating cost of each case that's produced. It's a it's a lot like hiring a machine uh, to do the job that a person used to do. Uh, in in the same way, in terms of how it affects your your operating costs versus your capital costs. Um, and Pearson Packaging provides the service, the support, the warranty, the spares and repairs, and everything else associated with ensuring that you get the performance out of that asset uh, 
that you're looking for. So ultimately, they offload all that risk and wrap it up into one single price uh, that, that is directly uh, linked to your production. Uh, so, and that's one of many types of programs that we enable uh, with our clients and, and our end users uh, that are looking to convert from you know, a large upfront capital expenditure on a uh, you know, milestone capital uh, procurement process, traditional process, uh, and really looking to operationalize that uh, that investment and 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 focus uh, focus their attention elsewhere. So let me get to the get to the, the quick of this. Uh, yeah. we are all in the same uh, ugly boat the COVID virus issue uh, and, and the economy and so on. Uh, I would think, uh, based on my research, that this service would be a tremendous aid, uh, aid in the environment that we're in, particularly with regards to COVID-19. So you want to give us some insight into that and see how that could be helping manufacturers, your service, as, as a result of the fact that they may not have people working in their plants right now or limited number of people working in their plants right now? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of ways, and of course, it's a it's 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 a very difficult time for so many people. And uh, part of that is adjusting your business to the new reality. And and there's so many different uh, situations out there in the world where where people are trying to figure out how to how to chart a path forward. And there's lots of opportunity in the market today uh, to address some of the new needs that are created by this these circumstances. Uh, and there's a lot of pressure uh, that businesses face uh, to move quickly on things. And, and we think, you know, machine as a service certainly isn't the answer to everybody's problems, but it certainly is a, a useful tool uh, to help address uh, specific issues. And, and you brought up a, a very good one. Um, you know, if, if you're currently, you know, hand packing at the back end of your line and you've got four people standing in close proximity to one another, uh, you know, the economics for converting to an automated solution become fairly obvious uh, and, and, and the payback periods become fairly quick. Uh, and so the challenge, of course, is while all this is happening, uh, the, the, the market itself is also relatively capital conservative. You know, people are, you know, trying to predict the future, but uh, instead of, you know, making that half million dollar investment in automation technology, uh, you know, what, what does it look like to bring in some equipment uh, that you may need right now, uh, given today's reality, but not necessarily uh, sign up for the, you know, the, 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 the long-term uh, ownership of a capital asset? Uh, it creates that flexibility as well. So conserves capital, uh, allows you to deploy automation quicker, uh, and, and do so with less risk to yourself because you're paying for the outcome uh, you're not necessarily paying for the machine and taking that risk uh, that you'll require that outcome or that the machine will actually produce the results that you had hoped for. I also see uh, and heard uh, another perhaps uh, benefit to your service. Uh, being that we're, uh, we're all in this COVID thing and uh, companies are now looking at you know, where, where am I getting my next order from, um, and perhaps I should expand my product mix and bring online a new product 
but I don't really want to spend the half a million dollars testing it out to see if I could actually uh, develop a market for a new product, adding it to my product mix. So maybe I should just go out and rent the service and, and do a trial run for six months and see if I can make the part, generate the sales, make the money, and either stay with your service or ultimately at some point buy their own equipment. So it's a good trial run uh, aspect. And I'm hearing a lot of people talking about adding product mix to help offset the fact that their their sales are in the toilet, uh, so to speak. Yeah. That- and and we, we, we definitely see the same thing. And, uh, you know, the product mix is definitely something that, that, that is impacting so many people right now. And, and it, it's fundamentally uh, related to the fact that the consumer uh, purchasing habits have changed so dramatically, uh, given given the state of affairs here in, in the world today. Uh, an easy example of that right now is the uh, uh, canning equipment for uh, f- for beverage cans is booming right now, and and it and it makes sense. It's a fun little story, but it really illustrates the point. You know, the uh, if 100% of uh, the beer consumption prior to COVID-19 was split uh, between, uh, you know, people that drink out of cans at home and people that drink at the restaurant out of kegs and people that drink at sports stadiums and everything else. So there was a how much is packaged in bulk kegs and how much is packaged in cans. And the interesting thing that we've seen is after COVID-19, the 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 need for kegging equipment has gone to zero. Uh, the consumption of kegs in that product format has really gone away because large gatherings aren't taking place. But the actual consumption of beer has increased. And so when you think about the impact of the lines that are canning, right, they have to make up for all the kegging that isn't taking place plus the increase. Um, and so, so right now, certain markets, certain formats, certain machinery uh, is, is, you know, very sought after uh, and, and very in demand. And those machines are running very heavily and, and people are looking for increased capacity. Um, at the same time, other machines are not. Uh, and so in so much as, you know, you want to supplement your current capacity, you need to bring in machines quickly. You're looking for a canning line, you know, these are things that we can help our clients with uh, and do it in a way that's based on, you know, your actual operating performance, do it in a way that doesn't necessarily impact your service department or require you to uh, bring in a a whole new group of people, which is, of course, also difficult right now. So by partnering with the OEMs, uh, you know, who bring in the machinery, help you set it up, help you support that and put a contract in place that is focused on your business success, where they become your partner in, in, in achieving that success, we think is a really good model for anybody that's uncertain or, or feeling uncomfortable uh, about kind of bringing on new assets in this, in this very kind of unpredictable time. Michael, I heard you say something early in the explanation, which kind of caught my ear, and I just want to kind of circle back to it. You said that, the, correct me where I'm wrong here, the machine manufacturer delivers the machine to the manufacturer on whatever basis you arrange, uh, rather than the manufacturer outsourcing the, the production to a 
I don't know, a big warehouse that's got a bunch of machines in it. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So, and of course, uh, you know, Steam Chain's role in this whole process is is we built we have built the data management system using IoT technology that monitors the performance of the asset and then converts that into the financial transactions between the counterparties. And so, for for every example we give, there's always another example of construct and situation. And so it can work either way. Um, but a very easy example is somebody, uh, an, an OEM, putting together a commercial program, um, and, and I'll, I'll talk maybe a little bit about our friends at Rob, uh, Robex who, who have the Robex Flex program uh, for uh, robotic systems and warehouse management uh, robotics. Uh, they actually do design, build, uh, operate, and maintain contracts on the Steam Chain platform. So what they offer their customers is the ability to come in uh, and completely update all of their back-end secondary packaging equipment and operate it for them in their facility. So it, it looks very much like outsourcing or contract manufacturing at that point. The machinery is owned by Robex, it's operated by Robex, it's maintained by Robex, and the, the client, the end user, the manufacturer that's using the service, pays a per case, per pallet, uh, per unit produced rate. I, I don't want to oversimplify this, but it sounds similar to, and, and by the way, the business world has, has embraced this, I don't think anybody buys copiers anymore. They lease copiers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we use that example a lot, um, and, and I think it is, it's an easy one for people to understand. It's really decoupling the ownership of the asset and the risk of the performance of the asset from the, from the need to, to achieve the outcome of the asset, right? You, you want to pay for pages printed. You don't want to manage ink. You don't want to manage paper. You don't want to manage breakdowns. You, you need a response time. You need an availability. You need a throughput, right? You need the capacity um, and, and, and instead of, you know, having teams that are researching best in class, who's got what, and, and you, you know, trusting the salesperson that says our, you know, our gizmo is better than the next gizmo. Yeah, uh, what right. you're really doing is saying, you're, you're saying, no, what, what I care about is that I need a pallet produced. I need a box packed. I need, uh, I, I need fluid delivered. I need uh, cans uh, produced and I'm willing to pay X cents per or X dollars per, right? Uh, as long as you can achieve, you know, 98% uptime uh, in terms of availability of the asset and, and you can fulfill my requirement in my facility under these conditions, gosh, it's just a much easier way, a much lower risk way for the end users to acquire those assets. And it's really important right now for a lot of reasons, but one of them is the, the, the skilled labor gap. Right. When, yeah. when it comes to the investment in advanced technology, a lot of the end user clients that we talk to are concerned about their own team's ability to attract and retain the talent necessary to support some of the new cutting edge technologies that have so, many, so much promise in terms of throughput and availability, in terms of business impact. But the corollary with that is you have to actually build the maintenance teams, the expertise in your facility. Many of these facilities don't have that expertise, and it's difficult to acquire, but the OEMs do. And when you work with the OEM on a machine-as-a-service program, that service and support and guarantee 
around you know maintenance and parts and repair and uptime is all included in the package of value and it's an operating cost for you it's a single number that's tied to the use of the asset the outcome which is what the the finance people care about right so just like the office printer market it's one less thing that people have to worry about because they know somebody else is taking that for me and we can get back to focusing on the aspects of our business that really differentiate us, not figuring out how to run this new technology. And it allows you to keep pace with, you know, best in class technology and best operating uh, efficiencies in the market today. We think it's a very attractive option for, for a, a sizable percentage of the market across many different segments. Uh, as a as a manufacturer, Michael, uh, I'm looking at it as uh, here I'm a manufacturer and I'm in New Jersey, and yep. uh, machine by ser- uh, service manufacturing by a service, uh, I need a piece of equipment to do whatever, and mm-hmm. the manufacturer's in uh, in Chicago. Mm-hmm. How, how does the logistics fit into this in terms of uh, deliverability, in terms of uh, yep. uh, actually operating the equipment and so on and so forth? How, how, does yeah. that, how does that work? I mean, you're, you're not a nationwide company, I don't believe. We are not, and, and, and right. we, we are not the ones that provide the service either. Uh, so we, we manage the process. And so how it works is very dependent on each and every OEM and the offer that they make to the market. So, um, you know, looking at uh, looking at any manufacturer, it works a lot of different ways. The, the thing that I would the thing that I would say is, in some cases, our customers invest. Excuse me, our OEM clients when they build these programs, they actually invest in embedding resources in the local market where the machines land. Oftentimes, that makes sense for everybody. So that is one way they solve that. The other important way that they solve that, though, is by deploying, uh, you know, modern uh, IoT technology to monitor that asset uh, and, and monitor it remotely, right, where, where, where they're really keeping a dashboard of how that thing's operating. And they can predict what may happen and dispatch people ahead of the curve. So by knowing how the machine is being used, by, by measuring the signals that are coming off of the machine, they can predictively, based on their experience with the asset, know when, you know, hey, we need to, we need to call these guys, we need to talk to them about, uh, you know, replacing their bearings or, you know, greasing the fittings or uh, uh, replacing the cutting knives at certain intervals. So all of our programs uh, generally have the whole service uh, aspect built into uh, the, the management, it's part and parcel of what you're paying for, and they monitor that asset and dispatch those resources as necessary to keep that thing running efficiently. They do all the predictive and preventative maintenance that's necessary. They are the OEM. Uh, after all, it's like having your own uh, you know, Ford automotive technician uh, constantly monitoring the status of your F-150 and, and making sure that everything gets done when it needs to be done so that you can reliably use the vehicle uh, with, with, with a very low risk that something's going to be missed because the, the manufacturer themselves is, is warranting that, and it's in their interest to make sure that they've got a support plan in place because they stop getting paid if that, stop, if that machine stops running. So by aligning the interests uh, between the end user and the OEM, because everybody earns the most when that machine is most productive, most available, 
what it does is creates the right uh, support plan for that asset that works in everybody's interest. So using uh, Tim's uh, simplistic uh, example of the photocopy machine or the copier yep. machine, uh, yep. It's the same thing where you, you have a, a failure or a maintenance issue. Uh, the OEM have certain dealers or maintenance organizations located around the country that can come in Absolutely. and do whatever they need to do. Very interesting. Absolutely. Very yeah, interesting. And, and of course, that that is not delivered by Steam Chain, right? We are the uh, we manage the data. We've created a, a platform that allows uh, all the parties to have transparent view into what the agreement is. They all have everybody's got a dashboard on the performance and the in the contract and how the the actual data flows to financial transactions. And then we consult with the OEMs to build those commercial programs. So every OEM and every uh, every market is a little bit different in terms of what resources they need to be able to ensure that they're able to achieve the performance levels that they contract with their customers on. Um, but but uh, but the system itself allows for that 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 transparency, which doesn't exist today. Right today, if a machine breaks down, you've got the end user calling up the OEM, who has, to be honest, relatively little interest in. You know, if, if if their field service is busy, then they're busy, right? We'll get to you when we get to you. Um, right. You know, we charge by the hour. Uh, if you can't fix it, it's really your risk and it's your issue and it's your business problem. You know, we're a good partner, so we want to help and we'll do what we can. It, it changes that mentality from when that machine is down, we're both losing money, right? And we're both accountable to work together to figure out how to solve that problem as quickly and efficiently as possible because it's impacting both of our businesses, um, and it's very metrics driven, right? You're paying for what you're getting. And so the OEM is very incentivized to help you and assist you, whether that be, a, you know, a, an, an issue with a reliability problem that they can improve, or maybe it's an issue with the training of the operators uh, that everybody's motivated to work together on so that everybody understands how to get the most out of these assets. We think it just changes the conversation uh, and it really offloads that risk from the end user because they've got an OEM that's, you know, that's being paid based on their ability to achieve the outcome that we contracted on the, the thing that the customer really cares about, the end user, which is, you know, how many units am I producing? Uh, you know, how available is the asset? These, these are the things that drive the economics, uh, not, not the expenditure of capital. Well, uh, um, fascinating. One of my, one of my thoughts, um, when approaching a one of the things that we find is that manufacturers you know they they really know very well about how to make things they don't necessarily know how uh how to market how to this how to that very well how do they see this service um do they catch on immediately is it a aha moment that they they got it or is this something that you have to take them through the photocopy example <laughs> i'd say it cuts both ways uh it, it, it it's very dependent and and so when you say manufacturer we kind of break the market down uh between oems who build the machinery and the end users who operate the machinery to produce some other uh some other product 
Um, right. And and on both sides, I think they 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 understand what it means for them, and they're excited about it. What they don't necessarily understand is what it means for the, the their counterparty, right? So if you're an end user, uh, this story almost sounds too good to be true, right? You're saying that instead of instead of all this complication that I have to deal with today, I can just pay somebody for every unit that comes off my line. Of course, that has huge economic value for me. I'm I'm paying for this. I'm paying a, a, an operating cost for the thing that I can sell, right? And it's directly linked to it, and it never changes. Uh, that that's awesome, right? And and I've got another party that is technically proficient. They built the equipment. They understand the technology that manages that technology, monitors that technology, and provides under the program all the all the service and support and maintenance that I require. And the answer is yes. And they say, wow, well, you know, where do I sign up for that? Um, and, and the OEMs are, are thinking about it kind of on the flip side of the coin, right? They're, they're looking at it, and they've, they've got a couple of challenges. One of their biggest challenges, if you're a machine builder, the market is kind of a cyclical market. It's boom and bust, right? Everybody buys machines at the same time, and everybody kind of stops buying them at the same time too. Um, and so managing that cash flow is always difficult for an OEM, and instead, what they're talking about now is putting the machines out there. And so instead of profiting on the sale, the project, they're profiting on the performance of that asset over time. And, of course, when you start bundling in maintenance and service and remote monitoring and all the other things that they can uniquely help their customers with, you're, you're generating a cash flow that's much higher than the project sale itself, right? So these things come at a cost, right? It's, uh, you're, you're paying for the value you receive. And, and and so everybody's looking at it and saying, gosh, that, that seems like a win-win for both sides of the equation. Um, and and ultimately, we, we, we have a lot easier time explaining this to end users and OEMs than we do, you know, the other folks in the market. Uh, uh, they generally understand the problem that, that, uh, that this solves. And, and, and it's not even the, so much the problem. What it does is creates all sorts of new ways to construct relationships with the with, with their strategic partners and and their suppliers of advanced technology, um, where before they didn't have the business model flexibility, they either bought the machine or they didn't buy the machine. Now they can they can make a down payment on the machine. They can pay on a per unit basis. They can pay on an uptime basis. They can pay on a combination of those things. They can have a long term support agreement, and it's all bundled into one single operating cost. I see your service almost equal to the advent of auto financing. The automotive industry was nothing until they introduced auto financing. Mm-hmm. Is this the same similar approach that's going to happen in manufacturing as a service that now it's a this is a totally new business model to uh, enhance one's business, and you and you don't have to yeah. worry about all the ancillary things that just yeah. screw your daily life up. <laughs> well, we certainly believe so. Um, and you know, when we think big picture, and 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 we love thinking big picture. But when we think big picture, um, you know, we 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 really look at the 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 slow adoption rate of new technology and manufacturing in this country as being a problem that we're that, that this solution addresses. Uh, and, and so, 
you know, today the pace of change for factories is relatively slow. And, and we're in a situation where it needs to increase. I, I don't think anybody's going to argue the point that, you know, when you've got the geopolitical risks that are, that are floating around in the world right now, uh, and you've pretty much saturated uh, the, 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 uh, the, the opportunity, let's say, to offshore and outsource, right? We can't go back to that well and keep playing that game uh, for the next 20 years like we did for the last 20 years. There needs to be a new paradigm. And, and we think this, this machine-as-a-service concept where you're sharing the risk of the investment in the advanced manufacturing technology that we need in this country across multiple stakeholders, the end user, the OEM, and in many cases, the financier, uh, that we, we, and, and we can get into the discussion about financing and, and the partners that we have that provide capital for these programs. What, what you're really doing is, is creating a much better, much more flexible model for how you finance equipment, for how you maintain that equipment, for how you operate that equipment that meets the specific needs of each client, right? These things can be custom tailored and custom designed to, to meet them where they're at and allow them to move into more advanced technology, more productive technology, more quickly with less risk. And we think that's a big deal. Uh, we think it will come as vendor-based programs, similar to your example with the, with the automotive industry in terms of financing. We think these are offers that come from the OEMs, the machine builders, that make propositions to the market for better ways to acquire uh, their technology at a lower risk. And, of course, that means the OEM is taking more risk. And it becomes very easy to measure whether those risks made sense. One of the challenges in the market today Right when you buy, especially on the high end of automation, when somebody's got a great new machine that's going to change your world and your industry, and 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 I love this, uh, you know, in my days at at Rockwell, I, I I was always on the advanced technology side of the fence, uh, specifically around servo robotics, but I always felt like, gosh, this new technology is great. And I'm a true believer in it, but I'm asking my customer to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a new technology that has very little in terms of case studies and, and, and a history, right? And so it's a tough sale because I'm asking them to take all the risk. I'm asking them to deploy new technology, and if it doesn't work for them five years from now, uh, they can't return it to me. They can't ask for their money back. If their business model doesn't work, that's their risk, not mine. I've gotten my money. I've sold the project, right? And, and I think it's that problem that Machine as a Service uniquely addresses because it allows the OEM and the technology provider to put their money where their mouth is to say not only do we believe this technology is going to achieve these production requirements for you, we're willing to partner with you so that when it does, that we share in the game. And if it doesn't, we're taking the same risks that you're taking and, and we're on the same team. Uh, because we both would need to then work out a solution to support our businesses and fix that problem. And that's the piece that doesn't occur today that we think is, is uniquely, uh, uniquely uh, machine as a service is capable of handling those things and managing that risk in a much more, uh, in a way that allows people to move quicker into the investment in these, these modern uh, you know, technologies, right? And, and we see the U.S. market right now as way behind, way behind Asia-Pacific, way behind Europe in terms of 
their deployment of automation technology, uh, and, and we'd like to be a part of that solution. Well, there certainly seem to be a major potential paradigm shift, almost like the next industrial revolution of sorts. <laughs> Well, you're egging me on now, but, uh, you know, when everybody talks about <laughs> Industry 4.0, and, every, and, and, and look, when I, was at, when I was at Rockwell, that's exactly what I was investigating. I, I, was, I was looking at what are the most interesting technologies. You know, everybody wants to talk about Industry 4.0 and the industrial Internet of Things. And, and any time, uh, historically, when you brought up that conversation, it was all about predictive maintenance and, you know, optimization of performance of assets. You know, we're going to we're going to apply pattern recognition, artificial intelligence. We're going to do all this stuff. And, and it, it, we, we believe in all that stuff. But, right, you know, a, a lot of that promise hasn't really driven the adoption of that technology. And our feeling is, is because there's not a business model that supports it. It still comes down to pay somebody to deploy all this technology and hope for a good result. And what we're saying is, Let's deploy all this technology and share the opportunity and share the risk uh, between the people that are operating the equipment, all the stakeholders, the people that are operating, the people that are uh, selling it, the people that are you know, delivering all that core technology. We think it's a better, uh, a, a, a better relationship between those folks, and it fundamentally it boils down to using the same IoT technology to collect and analyze that data the thing that we've added at Steam Chain is the ability to execute financial transactions based on that flow of data off those industrial assets. So we think it's a very big deal and very much in support of large-scale adoption of Industry 4.0 technology. Well, for the, our, late, uh, our late joiners to the show, uh, I want to make sure that they've got your uh, uh, URL, and that's Steam Chain. Dot io. You're even ahead of the game with the new with the new uh, <laughs> suffix. So yeah. know, this is really ter- this is really terrific stuff, and I, I certainly hope that uh, uh, some of our listeners are going to take advantage of this because it is a new concept and it could significantly save their butts. Tim. Michael, I want to thank you for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Great information. We'll be pushing it out there. We hope you do the same and get lots of buzz about machine as a service. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tim, and, and thank you, Lou. It's been a pleasure to join you on the call today. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, appreciate your interest in our business and uh, uh, look forward to staying in touch. As you make changes and additions and come up with a, a paradigm and a half change, give us a call. We'd love to hear from Absolutely. you and see what you're tinkering with at that time. Wonderful, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Take care. And, and we've been speaking with Michael Kromecki, who is the founder and CEO of Steam Chain. I suggest you check out steamchain.io and their website. Lots of great information on how to lease a machine versus buy a machine or actually pay for the output rather than pay for the entire enchilada. I think it's a fascinating approach. Lou, I loved your uh, uh, idea or your comparator to it got stuck in the world of automotive until they introduced automotive 
financing. It's true. It's true. And then sales went crazy. Yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant example. So with that, and we want to thank everyone for listening to this show, and we want to encourage you to go to jacketmediaco.com. That is where we have all of the uh, shows that are produced, including Manufacturing Talk Radio, the WAM Podcast, which is Women in Manufacturing, full-time with Amy, Manufacturing Manager Cliff Waldman, Where's Willie? Willie travels around the U.S. looking at manufacturers from the shop floor perspective and hazard girls about women who hold unusual positions in industrial America. And as always, thank you for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at msgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.